game is so beautiful, you know. Come play. The page dynasty is the newest rage. Maybe you've played, maybe you've made a trade. Made list, and now these fish are all up on ya. I mean, you won three ships, they wish they had your. So, this is it. You wanna learn the game. 101 pick when it hits, you feel no pain. Praying for the fantasy championship. Hit the books, kid. Read this pamphlet called the Owner's Manual. It's automatic D dynasty. It, it's automatic owner's manual. It, it, it's automatic D dynasty. It, it's automatic. <laughs> and here are your authors: C Chris Allen and A A Adam Wildy. All right, everybody, welcome back. I'm Chris Allen at Chris Allen FFWX. And I'm Adam Wilde at A-P-W-I-L-D-E. And I'll get us started with our foreword. Uh, we've got shirts. And if you guys want to support the Dynasty Owners Manual shirts, we're at FF underscore Outfitters. So check that out. That's by Justin Barlow. And if you want to listen to his amazing voice, that would be on episode 31. We've also got the Best Ball Owners Manual starting soon with Brad Reyes of TQE. That's going to be starting in March. So definitely get that started with your best ball drafts and of course debbie owner's manual absolutely and with that being said i think with the combine we've been seeing a lot of uh, metrics being put out now about the players we have the height weight thing going on today size measurements so hand size twitter is out qb height matters truthers are out uh, so of course with all of these things trying to figure out what matters what doesn't who cares about anything uh, we had to come and talk with Peter Howard. We had to bring him in and uh, have him walk through some of his process and also talk about some of the debates we've had on Twitter and talk about some of the things that he's seen on his personal show, uh, the Dino Crossroads with him and Jake Anderson. So, Peter, we actually wanted to talk about that right off the bat. So what was the conception for the Dynasty Crossroads show? How did you and Jake come up with that particular idea? Um, We didn't. <laughs> uh, we were on the open bar if you don't listen to the open bar you're not really living your best life um, but yeah the open bar with Gabe Greering and um, uh, J. Mike Check and um, it, it was and um, we were on there doing like a mock draft and they had eight guys on there and everyone's fighting for space and stuff like that and I think it was one of my first podcasts I was ever on probably the most fun I've ever had in a podcast to be honest with you other than the Dynasty Owners Manual of course, of course. but um, I don't know me and Jake must have got into it a time or two because by the end John Bosch who used to be at Empire FF on Twitter and now I think is just John Bosch FF if I'm not mistaken so. yeah. uh, anyway he was just looking at us funny and he said you two should do a show I'm like no He's like, no, you two should do a show where you just argue. I'm like, that sounds fun. So that's where the idea came from. It came from John Bosch just watching. I get, I can't even remember arguing with Jake particularly, but apparently we must have got into it over something because it stuck out to John. I mean, it definitely sticks out. Listening to the episodes, it definitely sticks out to the Dynasty community in and of itself because I've taken away quite a bit listening to both of you guys, and that's kind of 
part of what we wanted to talk to you guys about tonight. I mean, what has been one of your biggest takeaways from the show? I guess either getting Jake's perspective or diving in more deeper into, I guess, your own processes for evaluating players. Could you talk to, to us a little bit about, I guess, what has been your biggest takeaway from doing the show for, has it been a year now? It's got to be close to there. I don't know, we're on episode 36 or so. Uh, we We did it all through the season, so... Yeah, it's at least one football year old, and we started uh, a little after the combine last year. So, um, I, I should also point out, if I remember right, me and Jake were the only ones on the open bar episode who didn't have podcasts. So that might have been part of the influence of it. So you joined the club. Um, what have I learned? I've learned Jake that uh, looks a lot like Philip Rivers. Um, I've learned he's very fun to talk to and a, just a really good guy to get to know. Holy shit, and he really with. does look like Philip Rivers. Um, he, he does. He, it's, it's, it's scary, scary actually. He's a, a spitting image for huh. me. Um, <laughs> That's throwing me <laughs> off. Like there should have been a joke there, but there's no joke. He yeah. just looks like Philip Rivers. That really threw um, me off. Yeah. A very handsome man. <laughs> um, what have I learned with talking with Jake? Um, nothing. No, um, we've learned from each other a lot. I, I think I'm, my process has continued to move on. Um, anyway, and talking to Jake has just helped sharpen and increase that. I think, um, like they say about teaching in general, uh, the best way to try and learn something is trying to explain it to someone else. And so when you're trying to do that basically every week, um, and it's not like Jake doesn't understand the things, a lot of the things I'm trying to explain, or I don't understand a lot of the things he's trying to explain. But for the sake of the film versus analytics debate, we go through it, on, uh, even if we both do know the answer. And um, that alone has been really helpful to me. Um, Jake's evaluation on running backs and tight ends has also helped a lot. They're both less predictive um, from the numbers, from college to the NFL as well. And so I, I just always really appreciate his perspective. Um, so yeah, I, I can't think of any one thing. It's it's more everything. Uh, just talking with Jake has helped. Uh, you don't record this, like he's not going to ha- hear me say nice things about him or anything, right? We intend well, to mean, cut it out. Yeah, yeah good, I'll, I'll good. edit yeah, out right. all of this. So the yeah. part that we'll pick up on is that Jake sucks. So th- that's yeah, what, that's yeah, what here. right. We'll just yes. we'll just edit that in. Yeah. <laughs> now, Peter, I've got a pretty long rabbit hole to go down here, so I'm going to need you to bear with me. First, before we started, I'm going to have to mention that I've got a new job and it's got an hour car ride. So I get to catch up on all the podcasts that I wish I was listening to previously. So I don't have so much to catch up on. But when I do listen to these podcasts, I nod and I talk to myself. It's very important for the rabbit hole we're going down. So we're going to start this by assuming that our goal in rookie drafts is to not miss. Yes, I understand that's impossible, but the goal is to rank the players in order of what production that they would have in the future. So this starts from the DK Metcalf and Nikhil Harry episode first. I finished that episode, listened to the Josh Jacobs episode. So I'm listening to the DK Metcalf episode, and you both agree that there is an argument out there that DK Metcalf uh, didn't produce quite as much because he played on the same team as A.J. Brown and Demarcus Lodge. They're both going to enter the NFL, but you both agree that that was stupid. And I also agree that that's a stupid excuse because if he can't compete with AJ Brown and DeMarcus Lodge for touches, how is he going to compete with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley if he were to go to the Falcons? So we're all in agreement that that's not a, a 
good excuse because if he can't have a high dominator score uh, in college, he's not going to in the NFL, which is one of his knocks. He didn't have a high market share or a high dominator score. So it, just, it also just yeah. doesn't. Sorry, I know you're 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 on a roll here, but I'll forget if I don't mention it. It also just doesn't bear out when you in practice. If you look at past draft classes and past examples, players that are on the same team, they had no trouble standing out sure. in terms of market share, and so. For me, you always have to have an example, at least at least an outlier to say this player didn't stand out with this player on the team, so let's see if there are any more. And they're just no one's pointed out to me a good player in the NFL that struggled in his market share because someone else was on the team, so there's no reason to look for it. Right, and I'll also mention that DK is uh, Jake's wide receiver one right now, not necessarily his 101. He likes some of the running backs, but he's his wide receiver one right now although he didn't produce. And then Jake is also admitting some of the faults in his production. So at this point, I'm nodding and agreeing. So then we get to the Josh Jacobs episode. He's someone that I like to watch. He's someone that Jake really likes to watch. Both of us like David Montgomery more. However, Josh Jacobs did not produce very much in college, which Jake Anderson mentions. He didn't know much about Josh Jacobs at first because he didn't see him do much because he didn't do much. So he didn't have a high market share. Well, we know in the football community that he played at Al freaking Bama and we'll get to Alvin Kamara later, but there's a reason Alvin Kamara left there because you can't get touches there. It's extremely difficult. And Jake had a great quote. Five teams would have bell cow running backs. If Alabama didn't hoard them all. Very, very true statement. So, we get to Josh Jacobs and you're both pretty much agreeing, which is rare on your show that <laughs> Jacobs is probably pretty good, but he plays at Al freaking Bama and I'm agreeing and I'm nodding. And then I'm like, wait, we're saying that Josh Jacobs is kind of getting a pass in his market share. When, if you didn't know what Alabama was, the difference between Alabama and say the university of Maine, mm-hmm. you would say, well, why didn't that guy dominate the touches regardless of his competition, because yes, Najee Harris is probably going to go to the NFL. Yes, Damian Harris is going to the NFL, but they're not NFL-level talents yet. So why didn't Josh Jacob dominate the touches? So we're going to bring this all in to kind of say we gave DK the pass. We didn't give Josh Jacobs the pass. Jake makes a great point by saying, well, wide receiver running back is different because you can't put numerous running backs on the field at the same time and kind of pick who gets the ball. However, in theory, if we're going to look at just a production standpoint, we're going to go ahead and say that he grades out poorly in production because his market share is poor in relation to the other players. So, are you just going to miss on Josh Jacobs uh, (laughs) essentially like, is this the type of thing where you look at him and say, I'm just not going to get to draft him because he doesn't fit your model. He definitely is not going to grade out well in your model. Um, I'll let you speak on that, but I can tell you that. Or is there times where you have to take a different route? Maybe are you going to look at Josh Jacobs and say, I can't really use my model for an Alabama running back, but maybe I can look at efficiency. What do you really do in some of these rare scenarios, kind of like we had with Alvin Kamara? Yeah, um, your show's not nearly long enough, and nearly mine, <laughs> to get into that because it's a really interesting conversation. I think I think it's a product. It's you know, 
it's probably at least a third of our entire show this last year because we go through all different positions and we talk about one player at a time. So if you put all our running back episodes together, you'll have a, a rough view of what me and Jake have uh, figured out or decided on or tried to decide on just with the running back position. Um, I think I'd start out just by thinking about running backs, like Jake did uh, with his quote there, talking about you can't have more than one running back on the field, which is technically incorrect, which, as we know, is the best kind of incorrect, um, that I like to point out with Jake all the time. You can't have multiple running backs on the, out on the same team, um, which is why you still get productive rushes and someone else is getting the targets from the running backs, for example. Um, but going back just to what running back is and how it's different than wide receiver. One of the things we know, because we have more data and more and better data um, that's more accurately tracked in the NFL, so if we can use that as a proxy, I can't even tell you who's good in the NFL. Do you know of a stat? Like, I, I know uh, I really am excited and have been excited about evaded tackles, evaded tackles per touch. These things show some stickiness and some ability to tell you who's got a more natural... Uh, ability as a running back through that Contact. position. Contact. That's the but, one I like the most, but yes. But the position as a whole is so te- much more team-dependent uh, and coach-dependent than wide receiver, tight end, or really even quarterback, that it's really difficult to pry apart. Like None of those metrics will rank them in a way that you would want to draft them in a rookie draft, even all things being equal, or draft them for last year even and so not even trying to predict into the future the stickiness of them is abysmal even by you know small sample nfl standards to the point where none of them evade the same number of tackles per touch over next year josh hermsmeyer's actually got a great article about that on player profiler and he looked at the stickiness of it and it's more sticky than most running back efficiency metrics which is great but it's still pretty terrible and so if i can't tell you who's good in the nfl just through numbers. The idea I'm going to be able to identify who's good in college and is going to turn that into a good NFL career is um, not just pie in the sky. It's literally kidding yourself. So the running back position in and of itself is just harder to predict. We have no efficiency metric. I'm currently satisfied describes how efficient or how good a player is at playing. And we don't even have those efficiency metrics for college running backs, or at least I don't because they're not publicly available. I think PFF tracks a lot of it. Uh, but, you know, I don't have PFF money, as, I'm, uh, as, as I like to say. Um, so after you consider all that, I will stick with the paradigm, the thought, the overall arching um, philosophy, if you will, <laughs> that tries fantasy football when evaluating prospects. If a player is good in the NFL they were probably good in college. That just makes logical sense. And it bears true for like 99%, 99 point something percent of all players that have been good in the NFL. They have stood out in some way. And some more than others, um, and not an exponential rate. You don't stand out more on your team compared to someone else and then be better than them in the NFL because teams are different, situations are different, and there's a whole bunch of other things going on. But in general, we're able to identify who was good in college, and from that group, that's where most of the good NFL players will come from. There are a few exceptions, like to use a wide receiver position, A.J. Green, uh, broke out later than most good prospects. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyree Kill barely played, so we couldn't know if he was good or not. Mm-hmm. And frankly, just looking at the arc of his career in the NFL, you can see that he probably was not as good as he is right now when he was first on Kansas City. There's been a lot of effort that's gone into developing him. I'm pretty confident in that. And um, 
You've also got a few other players who, well, let, let's not make your show too long. But there are outliers. Michael Thomas is, the fam- uh, is I think, the best one of a player who's t- clearly been good in the NFL quickly and was definitely underproductive for most good players. But he wasn't completely unproductive. He did not do anything. He just looks more like an underproductive than an overproductive wide receiver. And that, you know, is not true. <laughs> Once he goes to the NFL, he's clearly of a higher ilk than most. He does have Drew Brees, and we'll point that out, and that's kind of a difference maker, but I'm willing to take the loss. Um, so switch that back to running back, I think that's still going to be true. Uh, you Players that were productive in college are more likely to be good in the NFL. What I've continue to say with Jake on our show is that that it's less we're less able to say who is good in college precisely because of basically what Jake was pointing out they can't all get on the uh, on the field at the same time and have similar workloads like uh wide receivers can not cleanly one to one anyway so in that way the heights of what they do in college matter more and then they are still less predictive because you're only based off one year through a whole different but bunch of teams and a whole different bunch of years and you just don't have as much context to context to put around them so someone like miles sanders who gets one year before he goes to the nfl with saquon barkley you just have to put a note next to his name and say that's why he's only got one year let's look at what he did and then you've got more context there where he only got one year to try you learn by doing right um, I've been thinking about market share a lot lately, and I think one of the things that people were missing in the film versus analytics debate is I think film people, not that you know, not that there are two actual groups, we're all looking right. at the same things, mm-hmm. but you know, to follow through with the the idea that there are different kinds of people in this evaluation process, <laughs> um, like Jake knows that anyway, um, but <laughs> what was I going to say? Um, the the measures that we're using to say whether they're productive enough are not the value in and of themselves, right? Getting a thousand yards doesn't get you anything for the NFL or getting 20 or 30% of your team's market share. That's not what we value. What it is is a proxy for other things. And it does say a little if they're standing out compared to other wide receivers that they are doing more with similar or same opportunity, i.e. the college level, and then other wide receivers. And that's a good signal. But overall, what they produce isn't the value. It's a proxy for development. It's a proxy for experience. It's a proxy for the coach no- coaches noticing them and using them more, and the quarterback noticing them and targeting them more. It's a proxy for targets, <laughs> if nothing else. So the production itself isn't the value. There's a lot of stuff that I probably don't even know half of what goes into making that production, whether you can knuckle down, whether you have a work ethic. I like to think uh, being productive in college kind of wraps a lot and hopefully the best of that up, and we have a proxy for it because we can't measure those things and they're not counted. So someone like, again, Miles Sanders, who only got one year to do it, we look at the height, but then compare it to the height of someone who was Alabama's lead running back for three years or even uh, two years is also unfair. And that's part of why running back um, production um, isn't as predictive of running backs. Because frankly, they don't get on the field at the same time, but they also don't get as much of that other stuff that production is a proxy for. Um, The sidebar to that, and we'll probably ask Jake this question more than me is whether you need as long to develop like mm-hmm. tight ends we know take much longer to develop college and NFL and um, wide receivers take some years to get better they need that time now 
how do you guys feel? Do you think a running back, if they're more naturally gifted, needs the same amount of time? I don't. Based on how the differences in predictiveness from the heights, like J.J. Zacharyson and Matt Kelly and these other great numbers guys, they use the last season of a college career to judge a running back specifically for that reason, right? They want to know when they were the guy, what did they do? And so maybe I'm wrong in that, but I also think that time, that experience playing the position matters. I think that gives you something. The more longer you do something, the better you get at it, even if you have natural raw ability. Um, have I answered anything like your question? I don't you know. absolutely I, have, but the most forget where I started. <laughs> the most important thing that you said, and the whole reason that I wanted to go down this rabbit hole was that you said asterisks, and the whole point of asking you this was just a practical application version of hearing you say something along the lines of maybe you couldn't exactly use the model for everyone, which I know you know that you can't because. We're going to look at Alabama as savvy individuals, or you're going to listen to savvy individuals, and we're going to say Alabama cares about winning games. Alabama does not care about giving Josh Jacobs a high market share for his NFL draft stock or his dynasty draft stock. So when you see a player like him and you see his astonishingly low market share for the ability that he presents, you just throw an asterisk there because – you know why he didn't get it. Now, when you see DK Metcalf's um, low market share, he does not get an asterisk because there was no reason why DK should not have been targeted more. And I will say this is one. Well, sure. But (laughs) we, (laughs) I talked to Jake at length before this, because the whole idea here was that I was going to obtain a quote from Jake that ended up getting to the same answer that you gave and in a roundabout way I did. I didn't get a quote because we talked for too long about it. So there was not one answer. However, Jake is pretty much saying that there isn't always an answer, which is kind of why Jake likes to watch film because (laughs) like it's for, I like production, which is why everybody thinks I hate Jarek McKinnon. I don't hate Jarek McKinnon as a person, (laughs) but I wish he produced then I would like him more. I like production. So Josh Jacobs might scare you and I, Peter, but we're going to draft him at some point, right? Well, I'm much more willing to do that with the running back position is where I'm going to come out at. Like my models for wide receiver attempt to explain how likely a player is to do X in the NFL, whether score a certain amount of points per game or have a number of top 24 seasons. Um, my models for running back really center around describing their production and they're all in my database. I mean, we, we can't, I don't have a model I trust to do the same, to do that for running backs. I really don't. I have several, I have, I have two running back models, a post and uh, a pre and a post draft that take into different factors and try to basically compare them to past successful NFL running backs. I don't like them. I don't trust them as far as I can throw them, but, but I look at them and, to know where I'm starting from, right? Then I read everything that I can from context to combine results to try and forge an idea of how I want to go with each individual player. Um, I, I do rely more heavily on the analysis that Jake and other people produce and um, from watching tape for that very reason. Now, again, I, 
just understanding their difficulties in production can also help you, though. If you look at what they did in college, you can look at just their heights. You can look at just their last year and compare that to past running backs, and that'll give you some sense. Um, the best way I've probably heard it described, again, unsurprisingly, is J.J. Zacharyson, who says things like he's going to look for a market inefficiency. So while you can't predict running backs as a group, well, based on the overall project, overall production in college, because of the difficulties we've just ran through, you can say that if there's a running back who was pretty impressive, or at least has solid production every year or for his whole college season, and no one's talking about him, that's a guy I'm actually more interested in. So that's one way that uh, metrics and numbers can help identify players. And it's interesting because the same ones seem to be coming up for us this year. Um, me and Jake, uh, like Miles Sadness and Alexander Madison, both of them, la- both of us landed on those two guys as pe- names that we don't hear much, but both seem to have something to what they did in college. And obviously, we've both gone about finding it very different ways, which for me is some sort of um, corroboration uh, that their production isn't just numbers, right? If Jake got there just by watching the film, that that seems to bolster the case that their overall production was positive. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the way I go with the running back position. I, I don't ignore numbers. I want to know how productive they are. I have a production score, which literally multiplies what they do each year by how predictive those values are, just to try and create an even scale to compare how productive each player was. But like we said, that doesn't mean that's not a ranking system for the running back position, but it does give me an idea of where someone might be being undervalued. And those are two names that stick out. Um, along with you know James Washington and a few others, and and really it boils down to being able to I guess add in that context once you start plugging players through and looking at their production and whatnot and trying to look for those market inefficiencies like you just mentioned, Peter. But one of the big things that I'm still trying to wrap my head around, I guess, and this is taking even a larger step back, is just looking at the film versus analytics debate as a whole. Uh, right. I guess, what, where do you think, if you had to guess, where do you think that whole debate started? Because it sounds like <laughs> from it sounds like from what you're saying, you need at least a, a, a decent emphasis on understanding a player's traits or talents on field to couple with the production and metrics that you study in order to come up with some sort of opinion on what the player can do once they get to the NFL. But it seems like either people take a hard stance one way or the other. Uh, so I, I guess, did you have any uh, have an opinion on why we wind up having this annual debate on which one's better? <laughs> I got an opinion on everything, Chris. I'm here. I know. <laughs> all crappy opinions you. on almost everything. Um, historically, I think it's just the way sports develop, right? Sports are for fun, and then we try to make money off them. And then, you know, you get to a certain point, and something that was just about trying to get your physical on and becomes about trying to be efficient and trying to be effective and try to make good decisions on something that no one can actually predict, which is the future. So some people turn towards data, which is the best source of trying to predict the future, or at least get an understanding uh, of what attempts to show you um, the future, at least rather than just guessing. Um, and then you've got not an old guard, but just a percentage of people who are going to look at that and go, look, I, ju- I just want to get my physical on. <laughs> this isn't about numbers. This is where I come to forget that numbers and charts exist. So I think there's just a root problem there with sports uh, in terms of, you know, 
taking sport out off the field quite literally and looking at it on a whiteboard or looking at it on a computer screen. That's just that's just the opposite, <laughs> frankly, of what some people think of as sports, which is fine. You know, I've played a lot of sports. I've always enjoyed sports. And, I, and nothing I enjoyed about playing sports had anything to do with numbers, computer screens, or whiteboards, right? So I, I think that's the root cause of it. As far as, you know, year to year, while we get, always get in these debates, it's like, and I know, I think we've talked about this before, about why we play specifically fantasy sports in general is, is a bizarre concept, right? We, from... I don't want to go into the social sta- social aspect of why play is important and every society has an aspect of games um, in their culture because that's just bringing out the anthropologist and historian in me a that's little a too much. That's a whole other podcast. So, so just sticking <laughs> to fantasy football, as they say, um, that's why it's fun. Um, we get on Twitter, and I've said this before, like some people aggressively grill me or make fun of me when I post something, and I'm good with that. Like I'm like, okay, this person is having fun in social media by being aggressive and fighting. I, I can get with that. That's fun. I enjoy a whole bunch of things. Some people just honestly trying to understand the game, engage with football in another way. So they just ask a question. And I'm good with that too. I find just trying to come to an answer or answer a question fun as well. But as far as film versus analytics goes, um, I mean, what would be the fun? In, for most of us, I think... In just standing there and you know being polite, almost. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we can, we're not actually playing football together, but we can argue. We can argue that this is more important, and this is who's going to be good. And bar bets and arguing over who was the greatest player of all time, whether it was Jordan or whether it's I know I don't do basketball. And the name completely jumped out of my head. He played for Kentucky as well, so I should remember. Shit. LeBron. There we go. Um, I mean, that's what's fun about sports. Just for the every man like us or the every woman like us for that matter. I mean, that's that's part of what it's for. So you pick a side, the one that appeals you to, to you the most or that works with the way you think the most or the one you just enjoy doing the most, and you want to fight about it. I mean... I know a lot of people take it personally. People have gotten upset at me for not taking it personally as well, which is an interesting variant on this. Like uh, they're angry. I'm not, uh, I'm, uh, I'm completely able to back up and go, Oh, okay. doesn't matter. <laughs> like, no, you were just really aggressive. Like, yeah, but this isn't, this isn't real. <laughs> like, this is okay. If, if you just win the argument, I'm really okay with just going, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and all of my animosity goes because the fun of it was the, the argument in and of itself, like none of this matters <laughs> and not to quote Josh Hearns, my about running backs here, but I mean, if running backs don't matter, then fantasy football analysts really, really, really don't matter. So if it's not fun, don't do it. <laughs> if you don't like to argue, don't do it. But I think everyone in the film and analytics debate just enjoys the argument. And I, I think that's, that's a lot of it. Like, um, it's gotten contentious between me and Jake once or twice, just trying to do that every week. Um, but at the end of the day, when you cool off, which takes like three seconds because we're both reasonable people, and it's like, well, I like Jake. I mean, it doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, on a real level, it doesn't really matter if we disagree or agree on anything. Um, if, the, if the argument gets on fun, then we just know not to go there again because <laughs> it's gotten too... Uh, out of bounds of what we're actually interested in talking about. Um, both of us know neither of us can be right because we're trying to predict the future, essentially. And both of us know the other one puts in a 
but ton of work in order to form their opinions. And so there was, there's a respect there too. Um, now, outside of that, there are also people who are always just going to be, you know, assholes <laughs> in every debate. You'll and that's that. not what it's about. But I, I think the heart of the fantasy community, those that are debating, are just looking for a good argument. They're looking for a good debate. And um, I, I think that's the core of it. Um, being able to separate it out. Like, there are not actually two sides. It's not film and analytics. For us, not analytics is nothing but looking at film and then counting what happens. So, I mean, analytics and numbers are film. Um, but the genesis or the the argument in itself, I think, is just the love of the debate and the love of the sport, frankly, and sports in general. I mean, this is our way of engaging with it. We can't play sports. We'd die. We'd die if we were put on an NFL field. So this is as far as we're just going as far as we can to actually feel like we're engaging with something we all enjoy. I yeah. mentioned on the open bar what if we put this much effort that we put into fantasy football into literally anything else? Like, right. I'm just trying to win enough to play next year without spending way too much money than I should on fantasy football. So like, (laughs) thank goodness for Patreon because like people are losing money to tell you guys who to draft. So that just goes to show you like, this is supposed to be fun. I mean, we're paying right. to talk right now. You just talked about the great debate. Like you said, there probably isn't one. I talked to uh, Gabe last episode a little bit about how there probably are some people that prefer to do one or another, but that's people that aren't so seriously involved as we are because you know they probably aren't going to do much research at all. So they might look just at some market share data if they know what that is or they're looking at just film which if you guys listen to the show guys and girls you know what market share data is so there you go (laughs) now have you changed your opinion ever uh based on what you've heard on about film and then maybe gone and viewed yourself no never (laughs) (laughs) yeah of course i have um but you've got to look at the peripheries, right? Like, Keem Butler is a freaking mystery to me. DK Metcalf is. He, he, right now, he's in consideration for the first round. And any model that I can do with, you know, solid process on numbers says that shouldn't be the case. Mm-hmm. I mean, the problem with DK Metcalf I have right now has got nothing to do with the player or his potential. It's the fact that we try to change numbers to f- so that we can somehow account for the fact there's an area that we can't get access to with numbers. And I think that's incorrect. Like I've seen Jake doing housekeeping all week with, um, Kelvin Harmon. Um, and I feel like I've been doing the same with DK Metcalf. Like you can't make, make numbers just reflect what you want. You just have to accept there's that other side of it. That's not counted. So we don't know. Um, that's, that's, all really gen- generic there. Sorry, that's not a very good answer. But yeah, there are plenty of players like DK Metcalf that I have interest in that I really wouldn't if it was just based on the numbers. So that alone tells you that I'm taking in others' opinions. And then you've got someone like Hakeem Butler, who Ryan McDowell from DLF has been really high on through the process. And he's actually in the first round, um, according to um, uh, DLF rookie ADP right now, which Ryan McDowell tracks, which makes me slightly suspicious. But he's an honest <laughs> dude, so that's, that's probably realistic. And he's someone that really looked bad to me just when I just looked at his overall production. And um, but then someone like Ryan and Jake and other people mention that 
he is good. Look, here are our valuations and you should look at him closer. So I do. And I notice that in his last year, that 40% mark stands alone compared to every other college career that a college season that he had. But I start looking and I find players like Brandon Marshall and you find players like, um, name jumped out of my head, Andre Johnson, who did similar things, who for one reason or another, entirely different reasons, really struggle, but they have this one standout season where they just absolutely dominate. Is that a smaller road, a less certain road to being good in the NFL? I think so. But it's a very positive sign on Hakeem Butler's side. Um, and, you know, I, Literally, there are t- there's too much to process. There are too many players to look at, even through a full off season, and to know who to look at if you're not thinking in other people's point of view. So, and so when Jesse Reeves from Fantasy Football FS Statistics, and when Jake mentioned a player being good from the way they evaluate, that makes me look at those players harder. It's the same way you come across someone like Ashlyn Doolin. There are a whole lot of small school guys, and some of them big, some of them small, some of them productive, that I'll never look at. You need something else to point you in their direction to actually dig in. And um, Ashland Doolin was because he got invited to the Combine. Hakeem Butler and DK Metcalf is because of film analysis. I mean, ultimately, if you're honestly trying to process as much as possible, and most people can't. Right, like you were just saying, we can't spend this much money and this much time in our lives on fantasy freaking football. <laughs> and so, I'm, but I'm trying to do the worky be role while I'll do it, so you don't have to, and then you can just look at what I found out, and then. Um, but I still need someone to point me in the right direction sometimes. And um, why would you ignore any information that could possibly do that for you? Like the combine's going on right now, and it does not matter. But if someone stands out and everyone goes nuts, that means I'm going to dig into their profile more than I did before that. So, yeah. Yes. I, I change my opinion and also change who I'm looking at, more importantly, um, based on film or any other type uh, of information that comes my way. And I think we should be able to change our opinions. We we should want to be able to take evidence, new evidence that's that's provided right. to us, whether it be through film or analytics, and say, okay, well, based off of that, there, I can now change my opinion. It's evidence. Evidence based takes. I think is the as at the heart of both. I think both film and analytics. I mean, people on the analytical side they have hard numbers which is a little bit easier for you to base an argument off of versus on film the evidence there unless you can repeatedly show that same thing time and time again for that specific player it's harder to drum up that same i guess level of confidence when it comes to what you see on film versus what you can put down on paper and say well this player can do xyz or their metrics they measure to be so much here and there so I think at least it's important, though, once you do have that evidence to be able to reevaluate and say, OK, well, if I don't have if I didn't have this information I had before, I do have it now. This is now my evaluation of that particular player and rolling on to that a little bit further. So when it comes to you evaluating players for this class, I guess, what is your process been for determining who you would draft at the 101 for for 2019? <laughs> Well, here's a part of analytics you'll never see me admit to Jake, but production numbers are really bad at ranking players by themselves. Like The idea is you create a model, and then you trust the model more than you trust anything else because you try to put everything that's important into, the, into it. And you don't try and beat the machine um, because we're bad when we try and beat the machine. That's what makes us bad at investing in stocks as well. 
Um, but the fact is, there's very little signal that comes from the college to the NFL game. We get excited about a 27% variance indicator, and that's nothing. It's something that's dismissed. Like, you normally require 95%... Um, I'm not going to get too far into this, but you normally <laughs> uh, you want probability values that usually range about 95%. And with the NFL, you're accepting basically anything over 10%, right? Anything at all. Because, and, you know, it gets tiresome, but that's talking about how mm, uh, the sample size of things that we have to measure is just frankly too small, and I think it always will be. Um, but uh, the things that I like, as far as a process to evaluate players, I want to know if they were productive, and if so, how productive compared to players that were good in the NFL, and at what age. And with running backs, I pay more attention to height than I do age, like the heights of their production over what age they produced it at. Um, and then I want to know what opportunity they're going to get. Now, the combine's a little useful for that because it'll tell you something about what NFL teams are going to think, but really it's just a holding pattern until we get to the draft. And then we see where players are drafted and uh, to what teams. Now, a lot of my digging into production metrics is because I wanted to do more than just draft players based on where they're draft, drafted by the NFL. The NFL's got a terrible hit rate, and we do and can do better um, than the NFL draft. Sorry, sorry, but we can. Um, but the draft is the most important indicator after assessing how how good they were compared to other players at college. And that's my two-step process. Outside of that, I'm taking in as much information as I can. And, you know, there's a feel aspect to all of this. Um, and you have to put the last 2%. Like one of those people that engaged me on Twitter the other day that was just honestly asking a question and so I just honestly answered it with no shade, sarcasm, or anything else. He was asking, is it okay? Like, am I crazy to have Hakeem Butler as my number one wide receiver? And honestly, no. I mean, the best I can do, like the value that I add, is honestly trying to put the work in to tell you how useful anything is at predicting anything else. <laughs> and But if you've taken all that in, you're like, okay, you've got this kind of risk, you've got that kind of problem, I need this kind of draft capital, then go for it. Like you were just saying, I mean, just have fun. I mean, go get that guy that just comes out on top after you add that you know, 2% of feel to the top of it. I just like the way that guy's profile and tape looks to me. Go get him. Um, because we actually don't know the future. And there's n being wrong, like you said, you're, like Adam said, our, our goal here is to avoid misses, right? Um, to get the right players in our rookie drafts. But the only thing worse than not getting the right player is getting the wrong player because someone else told you to. Right? That's the only thing I can think of that would be lower than getting it wrong. It's being wrong because someone else told you to do it. So, yeah, ju just take in everything you can. Try to make the best assessment you can. But then when it comes to it, just add that 2% of uh, what you think, just purely and um, subjective what you think, and go get them. <laughs> and that's that's the whole shebang right there. Um, so this was also too long. I can't answer a question in under five minutes anymore, it turns out. But ultimately what I'm saying is just ignore the combine and everything else matters. Uh, actually, real <laughs> quick off of that, though, do you find that when it comes to events like that, the, the combine specifically, do we wind up double counting a player either in the positive, either positively or negatively based off of just that event or the three or four days that they're at the combine? 
I think we absolutely do. Um, everyone says don't double count and then everyone changes their ranks. Now, that's a little unfair <laughs> because, like I said, we're trying to gauge what NFL teams are going to think through the combine. So it's fine. we got nothing else to do. So by all means, get excited because I really enjoy the hell out of the combine. I'm not going to lie. That's um, more of the sports that I participated in are getting done in the combine than I ever get done in an NFL game. So I really am. I really, um, feel a connection to the combine but at the end of the day it's more a proxy for what nfl teams might think like um we were just talking about hand size twitter and height twitter and speed twitter and they're all fun again just for the love of the argument i engage in all of it but at the end of the day threshold stats are only good till someone does something different at a different height or a different hand size or a different speed and then we just move the threshold and you're left holding that that empty draft pick because you believed in the threshold. And it's just, again, uh, I think most of the value I add is just finding out what's more important than anything else. Production is a hundred times more important than anything we'll get out of the combine. The draft is marginally more important <laughs> um, than what we get from their production metrics. Now, the interesting part about the draft versus production is I don't think production is fully incorporated into draft stock, so you can use both of them to get an even better idea of who's going to hit, and that's how we get our third, fourth, fifth, sixth-round hits. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stay under five minutes for once. But, yeah. <laughs> now, on, on double-counting, double-counting works both ways, just so... Uh, we make that one clear because uh, sh- let's use Leonard Fournette. He has had the same ankle injury forever. Um, he came into the NFL with the same ankle injury. When he was at his peak, he was there with the ankle injury. We like to use the term baked in. It's the perfect <laughs> term. The ankle injury was baked into a stock. Then he injures his ankle and he drops. Well, he was, it was already baked in. I mean, he was that spot in ADP because he has lingering ankle injuries. Now, going into the combine, since that's what we're discussing currently, let's say a running back that me and Jake like, David Montgomery, he's not the fastest back in this draft. Let's say he goes and runs a mediocre time. He doesn't fall in your ranks because he ran a mediocre time because we already baked in his run time. So... Pay attention to that when you watch the combine. If people already knew this, like if you want to go look at Vegas, that's one one thing to look at. People are trying to capitalize on the uh, over-unders for run times. Vegas is pretty good. So, I mean, if Vegas put a number on it, that's probably what we already perceive them to be running. So if they go out there and run the same time that Vegas had them or similar, yet yeah, we probably already had that when we put him at number three overall or whatever. So Peter, getting into the next question, it's about your dynasty rosters, which sometimes I forget you have because I feel like you spend so much (laughs) time doing this that you don't have time to actually implement any of it yourself. The research Um, has almost become the fun for me over my leagues. And that's sad because that's not why I got started, but yeah, I'm I'm fully confident you could have no leagues and have the same amount of fun at this point. I really could, (laughs) (laughs) but Using this draft class, is this a class that you're looking to build around, or are you kind of agreeing that everybody else is saying it's a, a down year? Um, everyone's saying it, and so the idea is that you do the opposite, right? Um, that's 
where what everyone says and what I honestly try and find a reason for doing. I need a reason to try and do the opposite. Um, and just a note on Fournette, this, that's also why outliers mislead us. We find one reason that one outlier worked, and then we go try and find other reasons. Comparing to an outlier is not a good thing. They're all different. That's the point. You can't go mm-hmm. and find another one like them. But, um, and his problem was the receiving work. And I think he injured both ankles. But anyway, back <laughs> um, I think he had a 30-plus catch season, but we'll talk about that. I'm not a huge fan, but I, I'm just saying yeah. he got double-counted pretty, pretty low now. Yeah, I think he's where he should be now, or where he should have been, maybe a little lower. But anyway, back to what you were saying, which was, what did you ask me about? Damn. It was about your team, Peter. And ah, about my team, this class, yeah. Um, you're trying to find a reason to do the opposite. That's where I was. Um, I'm not, I'm, I'm really not sold on any one thing. Apart from Nikhil Harry being my favorite player in this draft class, I have nothing set in stone. There's not much that can happen to Harry to change that. Everyone else could be changed at the drop of a hat, honestly, right now. Um, Harmon, I'm a little more convinced of than others, but that's regardless. Me too. Um, One of the things I'm doing right now is I'm trying to – I just found out that they want to produce it daily, so I'm now going to have to, like, hammer in and write the next six or seven articles. I'm I'm going back through past draft classes of wide receivers and looking at them player by player. What did we know before and during the combine? So not combine results. And then what happened after? Mm -hmm. Trying basically to explain what a model tries to do step by step. Because I think me and everyone else prefers to talk about players than models. We we just do. We use models as a tool. But most people zone out when you start talking about R squared. And I understand that. It's not interesting to everyone. So what I'm trying to do is go through each draft class and show exactly what their numbers were, how they compared to the average, and then... As we all know from the 2012 draft class, we know who turned out to be good. We know who turned out to be good but then got injured. And so I think if going through it draft class by draft class that way would just help articulate what production can and what it can't do. However, um, one of the thoughts through doing writing that series has come up, I'm about halfway through it, is looking at the difference between the 2012 and the 2013 draft class. The 2012 had like a lot of first-round wide receivers, and overall had about twice as many wide receivers drafted in the first three rounds as compared to the 2013 class. And we had a lot of exciting prospects from the 2012 class as well, but the best hit by far is T.Y. Horton from the third round which is phenomenal when you consider how many were drafted in the first round. In the 2012 class, is considered and was considered at the time a down year. And I agree with that completely. But the heights of that class are DeAndre Hopkins and Keenan Allen, again from the third round. So draft capital isn't helping you out overly there. But who would you rather have? The better class with many more potential prospects and that everyone's excited about or the class that gives you DeAndre Hopkins. Like, just because it's a down class doesn't mean the best player for the next three years isn't about to come out. Now, do I think that player's in here? Maybe. I'm looking for a reason to zag because of that potential bad class, very, very good height, right? That is always a possibility. And I don't know I'm there yet, but that would be my argument, that sometimes bad classes produce the best players. And I'm the same way. What I want to say before we get out of here is, uh, like you said, Zig, when others are zagging. So here's my thought process here, and you can listen to it if you'd like to or just, you know, come for Peter. But (laughs) (laughs) We're all here for you, man. (laughs) But it's a down class. Everybody's saying it's a down class, right? Well, where I would like to think I excel is kind of 
um, capitalizing. I think that I do a good job of looking at players as currency, and I would like to sell them when they're high, um, buy them when they're low. So these players don't have – these picks do not have values yet. We've right. got the 101, the 106, the 108. Everybody's saying down class, down class. Well, when it comes time, and I've learned this over the years – to draft these players, it does not matter if it was considered a down class because people are so starving to draft. <laughs> right. They've done so much work to the point where it doesn't matter if Hakeem Butler is good relative to his NFL compadres in his ADP range because you just want to draft him because you've watched so much film on him. Mm-hmm. So what I've tried to do this year is hoard all the quote-unquote down-year picks that I can get and then just let this fester and let people keep doing the research because people aren't going to stop doing the research just because they think it's a down class. We're degenerates like that. Everyone's going to keep doing their research. It's going to come to draft time and people are going to think, man, you know, this is a down class, but that 106 is looking really good. You know, I really (laughs) want Calvin Harmon there. I think that's a huge deal. Okay, well, Go ahead and last year it was the 106 for Zach Ertz. I gave like the 106 and the 203 for Zach Ertz and tight end premium. If I did that on any other day than the day that we were drafting, there's no way that that happens. So if you want to do a little zigging while everybody else zags, just go buy these picks super cheap that nobody wants because it's such a down year and then don't draft because you also think it's a down year and capitalize on everyone else that wants to draft. That's a good point. Um, the, something I've been saying lately, or planning to say lately, I don't know how many times I've said it, is um, the problem with zigging when everyone zags is that everyone says well, you should do it, and it makes such obvious sense everyone's trying to do it. I think what's sometimes missed is everyone has a zag in mind. Like, we all want to zag in a certain way. Like, I want to zag by drafting DeAndre Hopkins. Everyone wants to do that, and therefore you are no longer doing the opposite of what everyone else does. Um, and it's so league situation and team dependent, right? Mm-hmm. If it's something you want to do, it's probably not doing the opposite of what everyone else does because we're all connected on Twitter. We're all talking and looking at the same players and the same production metrics and watching the same film. The ugly thing is normally the thing we don't want to do, and that's normally the opposite <laughs> of what everyone else is doing. So unfortunately, on a whole, what you don't want to do is normally doing the opposite, which is counterproductive. That is counterintuitive. And, you know, that's what zigging when everyone else zags means. But I think sometimes we forget what we want to do as the opposite is often what everyone wants to do as the opposite, which actually makes it what everyone is doing. If that makes some kind of confused sense, like right now everyone wants to go out and draft uh, or get Antonio Brown at a value. Like I thought that was contrarian until I tried to trade for him in my leagues and everyone's like, no, I'm not falling for it. Damn Everybody it. wants to Twitter told me everyone would fall for this. Right. <laughs> but that um, philosophy comes into startups more so. I, I totally agree that the trading for him was never a thing. Um, right. Because like, people who have him know that he has had 400 or 380 or whatever points the right. past three years. So totally with you on that. But I like, did also get him at 310. And just got to show that off. Don't you? <laughs> just drop that in, by the way. Anytime he like, a chance. Like a, it's like because a, he's an ugly name in a club <laughs> of pretty names. But right. when you're on your roster and you have like Antonio Brown and then like 
you know, some other players like Anthony Miller or, or, or guys you like, Godwin and, and stuff like that, you're not trading Antonio Brown. But when he's sitting with those other pretty names, sorry to get into this, I just like the philosophy behind things. When, when there's other pretty names sitting there, he's going to keep dropping. That's why Lev Bell was at 403. There was other pretty names there to pick. And I even almost took Geis over him, but whatever, I'm crazy. Like sometimes you do get to make that move, that move that is really what you wanted to do anyway. <laughs> but I think it's, at least for me, in my experience, in my few leagues, as Adam points out, in my 10 or so, um, it, it's often the opposite. Like if if a sleeper doesn't make you cringe a little bit, then I'm not sure, sir, it can be classified as a sleeper. I think that's who everyone wants. Like TJ right. Yeldon, I think, is thought to be a sleeper or undervalued right now. I'm seeing him drafted higher than he was last year. <laughs> I think everyone's onto it. Um, the names that make me cringe at running back right now, LaShawn McCoy and Jordan Howard. Both of them make me ugh, a little bit. So they're probably more sleepers than anyone else that's being touted on uh, as you know good values because they could. Honestly, just this could be the end, <laughs> but, which is the problem. But, yeah, if it doesn't feel nasty, then you're probably not doing the opposite of what everyone else wants to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. All right, well, Peter, this has been great. I mean, anytime that we can get you on, of course, the conversation always turns into some deep dive discussion where we wind up Sorry, down that's, one that's rabbit me. hole <laughs> after the other. And I, I would love to do like, – we have to have you back on. We might have to have you on for like two in a row like we did last year. That would be great. Uh, which is we, entirely yeah. possible. Uh, but before we get you on out of here tonight, before uh, – I wanted to give you a chance to talk about what do you have coming up in terms of content – uh, what should folks be looking out for here in the near future when it comes to Mr. Pahoudi himself uh, on Twitter? <laughs> um, uh, nothing really. No, um, like you were just saying, you've got to take time out to have fun, reassess let everyone else's value build up, and the time through the combine to the draft is kind of mine. My research is finished. So what I'm working on right now is that um, DLF series where I'm looking through past draft classes. I'm also writing – I just wrote an article for FS Statistics about the difference between – uh, college dominators and per game college dominators because <clears throat> that's come up with a lot of players being injured like Metcalf through different seasons um, we've been adjusting it for per game and I don't think it's the same statistic we can't compare it one for one um, but really the thing I've been working on mostly has been projections trying to get ready for the 2019 season I'm using this time to do that um, I've actually like as a side project while working through it I've actually created a production model that I think everyone can get value out of and it can also be used at a high level but also an entry level and so i created a video course around it i'm trying to find a way to get that to people so i don't have a link for anyone right now but yeah i've got a production model for you all to make your own productions projections the same way you know i do and everyone else does um but there's also adjustable based on what you think is important how much you should weight a player's average versus their career average versus last year or whether you should use positional averages or how positional averages should be calculated this sheet can do all of that for you um just by putting in the numbers you want you don't have to build it in other words and then i've got like i say that video series that goes with it to try and talk through how to use a sheet but also how i go about making projections um, so that's what I've been working on mostly. Like I say, check my Twitter feed because uh, I have yeah. nowhere to send you for that right now. I have no idea how to get that to people. Like I don't have a website or anything like that, but um, I've been putting a lot of effort into that lately. Oh, I'm sure you'll figure out. We have plenty of time, right? It's February. Well, March, I guess. So we've got right. time, right? 
I mean, you know, not have don't have a lot going on. I mean, what's an off season? So yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, thanks again for coming out tonight. I mean, we we love having you on the show, Adam. Before we get out of here, do we have anything for the folks? Yes, you can get some awesome T-shirts at FF underscore Outfitters. Get your Dynasty Owners Manual gear. We've got Dwight and Andrew doing a great job on Debbie Owners Manual. At this point, they've probably done a Combine episode, so that's going to be an excellent episode to listen to. And at this point, you're probably listening to Brad Ray. As if you're not, it's coming soon. He's going to be on the Best Ball Owners Manual. We're also added to Spotify, added to Podbean, and added to Google Play. So if your friends weren't listening because they didn't have us, They've got us now. Get them on board. Any endorsements, any subscriptions, any reviews that we can get from anybody, that's uh, greatly appreciated. And thanks for listening to the show. Absolutely. So for the great Adam Wildey, for the man with the misspelled tweets and conditionally formatted tables, Mr. Peter Howard, (laughs) I'm Chris Allen at Chris Allen FFWX. We thank you guys for tuning in this evening, and we'll catch you guys next week. For the fantasy championship Dynasty. Hit the books, kid Read this pamphlet called the Dynasty o- Owner's Manual It's automatic Dynasty It's automatic Owner's Manual It's automatic Dynasty It's automatic